life only when it starts to look like what it sounds and smells and is shaped like in this word. So if you've, if you've not gotten involved in a significant way in caring for the brokenness of humanity, stepping into the needs of people's lives, well, what are you waiting for? It's an incredible opportunity. And the folks that are involved, you talk to the guys that are doing care team ministry, oh, what a blast it is. Listen, this is very different. This is a form of evangelism, but this is different than you know, the guy who's standing, and this is just different, but the guy who's standing down on Bourbon Street confronting somebody in their sin. This is a very different form of evangelism than that. Uh, these folks love the fact that you are caring for them. And then that creates opportunity for what matters most in your life to be shared with them. Or for them just to come and be around the church. So if you've, if you've not had a chance to experience Care Team, if you have a few minutes today, please go by and just visit with some of the folks that have been involved in Care Team. Let some of their experiences rub off on you a bit. Find out what's coming up so you can get your feet wet. Maybe hang around, eat lunch. You're going to eat lunch anyway when you leave here today. Go up there and eat lunch. And then sit and listen to what Care Team is doing. Uh, that's an area of ministry I'd love for us to see that be much, much larger than what we're doing here in the city. All right, well, this morning, let your Bibles flop open to Ezekiel chapter 36. <laughs> uh. All right, now, I have to warn you that this morning, looking at something for so long uh, requires us to do a little self-assessment. <laughs> so we're going to have a little bit of some questioning here going on about what this passage has become in our lives besides just familiar to us. But let me back us up for a moment. You'll remember at the beginning of this series and, and throughout it, I know some folks have interacted with this series in bits and pieces. I, I really do need to encourage you to, to try and go through all of it if you haven't been able to participate in it all. And depending on where you are in your walk with God, you may be experiencing different elements of this. Some folks are just very new to Christianity, just trying to figure out Left foot, right foot in my walk. Some people have been walking for a while. And really, I think the emphasis in this series was probably more for those who've been walking in their faith for a little while and needing some help for it to stay encouraging and vital and not become this weary task. We started off talking about in this series, you know, the thing about Christianity is it introduces you to so many new concepts that if you're not careful in how you interact with it, you begin to take those concepts and load them onto your life. And they become a long, long list of things to do. And we get weighed down by that. Remember, you may, guys may or may not remember, if you are here in the church about a year ago, we began to get a bit of a concern for this. And did a series the beginning of last year uh, called Condemnation and Its Cure. And we've, we've interacted and talked off and on throughout the past year, and not just about what we're preaching from the Word and how that's sounding, but what we're hearing and how we're listening to it and how we're appropriating it as a people. And so this morning, I, I want to highlight something here as we look at this passage, because it would be our tendency in learning so much that translates into behavior to sort of skip some of the stuff that brings us to behavior and start with behavior. And so next thing you know, you're looking at a list of what do I need to do as a husband or as a mother or as an employer or an employee or just as a Christian who reads the Bible and prays. And, 
And your weight, weighty list begins to grow and grow and grow. And our emphasis and focus begins to be very different than what the Bible draws our attention to mostly. Right? When I say this, it sounds like the dumbest thing that a pastor could ever say. But the Bible is about God. <laughs> You're very proud that I'm your pastor right now, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, the great, the great challenge for us is to keep it from being about us and turning it into cute little stories that motivate us to live better lives. That's a challenge not to do that. But really, this is a book about God. It's intended to reveal things about God. And then when God is seen, the, the observation, the spirit-empowered observation of God should energize and do something to us. And out of that, a life gets lived. Well, interesting as we look through these passages here, and I'm actually not going to read all the passages today, but there's going, to, there's going to be a movement here onto some other element of encouragement for us. But if you'll remember with me, as we start in verse 22 and move through this, all the I will statements, I will, I will vindicate my name. I will take you from the nations. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will put within you that's that heart. I will put my spirit within you. Right? I will, I will, I will. When we get to the passage we're going to look at today, and, and God says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to obey my commands. Now, if I were to do just a little bit of a ratioing here and just group these into major settings, you've got five I will statements from God for keeping score, and we're going to end this passage with one statement of you will all right so five to one you want a ratio of what should i be where should i be doing my studying and putting most of the emphasis of my walk with god five to one would probably be a pretty good suggestion five times as much study on god and what god has done to studying yourself and what you do and don't do would be a good mixture you could come up with that ratio but how many of us know the reality is we look more like one to five? We are much more in tune with today things about ourselves, our history, our failure, our sin. Right? Probably for if you've sinned in some way that you would call significant this week, that significant sin most likely has been more influential in your thinking, in your moods, and how you've lived your life and how you came to this service today, than all the important historic things that God has done. True? And if you've got one of those habitual sin things going on in your life, that thing that just, it, it goes away, but you know it's sort of, it's, it's, it's regrouping in the closet. And you know it's coming back out and it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess your life up, shut things down again. Here it comes. And that cycle of failure that you're aware of. And then when you, I mean, you just get a reminder of that sin, it just kind of pops up on the radar screen. All of a sudden, you're spending five times as much meditation and thought being given to that issue and that aspect of you than you are about God and who God is and what God has done. You understand? Remember, the backdrop that we started with here was a people who were going into exile under judgment. So they've been doing the wrong thing. There's lots to say about what they're doing wrong. But when God says He's going to move, 
The emphasis in God's movement is on what God has done five times more so than what we're ever going to do. So the righteousness needs to be focused on God. The reality needs to be focused on God. The work of God needs to be more prevalent to us than the work that we accomplish for Him or to be in line with Him. Now, if most of us have got this backwards, then there is absolutely no way that we're living right. There's no way. We are trapped in wrong thinking. Now, look at this quote from... Sinclair Ferguson. He says, The practical Christian living is based on understanding and knowledge. How we think is one of the great determining factors in how we live. Proverbs says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This is one of the great practical determining issues of whatever it is that's going on in our world today. And, And at some point here, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to do a series on, on, on the, the victimization mindset. It's just everywhere. It is just everywhere. It's where we all feel like we're convinced that our, our life is below par because of what has happened to us. You know, you, you can't read far into the Bible. You can't say that you're a new creation in Christ. You can't be the rich recipients of what has happened for you and still walk around feeling sorry for yourself. You can't. It's impossible. So if you're feeling sorry for yourself, if you've come in here today and you're feeling sorry for yourself, uh, I guarantee you this five to one thing is in the opposite direction. I am five times more in tune with my past and the people in my past and, and why the tax structure is wrong and why FEMA didn't do this and why this has gone wrong in my life. And I'm, I'm so in touch with that and I meditate on it and I think about it. And then mixed into all what everybody else did wrong was things that I did wrong. And if you're humble, you at least mix some of that in. You don't just blame everybody else. You know you've done some things that have contributed to that. And so you get out of touch. I mean, how can you have joy? How can you have hope? If you're wearing this anchor around your life to your past and to other people. Oh, please, for goodness sake. Man, benefit from the Bible that you don't have to yoke your life. It's like we've hitched our lives up like we're trailers following people around. Well, if my, if my husband just get it right, I could, I could be finally happy if he just... Or if, if that person would stop my boss... You know, where in the Bible did we ever get told, yoke your life to somebody else besides God? Amen. Don't do it. It'll destroy every bit of joy you'll ever have in your life. But we're living thinking this way. And this is, this is what's going through our mind. It's being filtered through our minds over and over and over again. Is it any wonder that we don't have joy and peace and hope and excitement and zeal in our lives? Listen, I, what we think is so critical and what flows through our minds is so critical to the life we're ever going to live. It's why we, we, it's why we preach the Word of God. It's why we don't preach in 10 minutes here. It's, it's why there are books available to you. It's why we say, pick up books, read books, study. It's, it's why we review materials in, in covenant groups. It's why we have school of the Word. Because what we think is creating the life that we're living in. So I, I'm, I'm going to pound the hammer again. If you don't have John Piper's book, Finally Alive, and you're not part of the Book of the Month Club... Uh, you are missing out on something. Because if you keep thinking the way you've always been thinking and you don't get some 
some good insight about God. If you don't change the ratio here and get five times more stuff about God and what He's done going on and a little bit about who you are, if you don't change that... Listen, when you guys go, if, any, if you're here today and you've ever gone to get any kind of counseling, and you sit down in that meeting. Now, if you go to a secular counselor, you're hopelessly trapped in this. That meeting is about you. Isn't it? And that's what you're paying for. That's why you went. You don't want to hear them talk about somebody else. You're there to talk about you too. I came because I got issues and I got problems. It's about you. But you know, when the Bible... When the Bible leads us into information, it doesn't lead us very far into us. It leads us deep into God. Now, it says a lot about sin and it says a lot about our condition because that's what's in the way of us knowing God. So it does need to traffic in that. But what we know is so critical. Please, you can't be much of a Christian if you're not renewing your mind and getting deep in insights and getting truth going on in your life. And in place of learning great things, you're just going to rehearse your own life and think about yourself and why you're not, why that person did, and all the things that are limiting you. And Boy, you're not going to go anywhere. But if you're going to go somewhere, you're going to need to study. So we've been spending all this time in Ezekiel 36. Now, by the way, I didn't give you notes today because I, I want you to listen a little bit differently today. Sometimes we give notes and, and sometimes we feel like it'd be better not to give you notes. Because more than you following the concepts I'm going to present, I want you to listen for conviction. That's going to, I want your notes to just be where the Holy Spirit jumps out at you and says, Hey, knucklehead, write that down. Okay? <laughs> Sometimes when stuff is already written down for us, you know, it's kind of like we're just going along, going along, going along. Concept, concept. Oh, that was helpful. Good. But sometimes we don't listen for the Holy Spirit to tell you, Hey, uh, that point right there, that's you. Write it down. Circle it. Write the passage down. Go back and review. Okay, so you're listening for the Holy Spirit, right? You probably, not every bit of this message will stick to you the same way, but you're listening for the Holy Spirit. But my question, having looked at Ezekiel 36, is, is it enough to know Ezekiel 36? These five indicatives of God, these things that God has done. Is it enough for us to know those things? See, there's, there's more to God's truth than just knowing God's truth. Right? And we've been in Ezekiel 36 now for I don't know, a couple of months. Been going through it from several angles. Now you just do a self-assessment here. How much has your life changed? Now we'll say, I've got a, I've got a bunch of emails from folks. Uh, and, and I'm kind of wrapping some thought up here towards the end of this. Uh, some people are saying, please don't stop teaching in this area. Please keep going in this. And, and in some way, there's going to be, you know, this is going to be like Tony Sachery's. So it's going to be sprinkled in a lot of stuff you're going to hear in the future, even if it's not exactly out of Ezekiel 36. Because uh, there's some elements of truth I think we need to keep emphasizing. But um, how much has your life really changed? How much increase in joy is in your life? much anticipation is going on? How much hope is there in you? How much patterns that have been dominating, influential, and limiting you have, have diminished? And you, you live in a, you're living on a larger leash of freedom. See, because knowing isn't really enough. The Bible describes God's Word as seed. 
The Word of God is like a seed. Now, you know, there's a couple of things you can do with seed. You can, you can take seed and you can gather it together and you can store it. And it'll stay in the form of seed, I think, forever. It just sits in the form of seed. Right, you can put it in 100-pound sacks and stick it in the corner of your house somewhere and you'll have that seed 100 years from now. It'll be sitting there just like a 100-pound sack of seed. I have grain elevators by my house. Huge seed, tons and tons of seed coming on off and off barges. It stays like seed. But seed wasn't intended to be stored. Seed was intended to be planted in the ground. It was intended to be planted in an environment conducive for it to germinate and then grow and produce an effect, a harvest, if you will. So we should never be seed collectors. When we receive the Word of God, we need to receive it in such a way that we're not just sticking it in sacks, but we're planting it into our lives so that it actually begins to take shape. Now, I, I put the, I don't have, well, you don't have an outline, but I'll probably put some of this online. I titled the message today, Knowing is for Living. Now, I stole that from Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Christian Life. His first chapter is, Knowing is for Living. Knowing Ezekiel 36 is for living Ezekiel 36. Right? That's, what, that's what we're about. Knowing is for living. And when we get to the bottom of that, this passage in verse 27... We find God turning the corner from all these indicative statements that he's made about what he's done. And now he's going to say, okay, now, now you. Now you. Okay, here's the one thing God is saying for us to do. I will put my spirit within you. New American Standard says it this way. And cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe or obey my commands. And here's where God, and this is still this is still an interesting construction because it's God saying, you know, God is the subject and we are the object, but then slightly we get moved into being the subject of the sentence. For the most part here, we've just been the object of everything that's happened so far. God's been the subject, we've been the object. And he even says it here. I will put my spirit within you, okay, so we're still receiving, we're still the object, and cause you, okay, God's still the causal force here, but now I'm going to cause you to walk. And you to be careful to obey my commands. So here's this little thing has just happened in that statement. God has done all these things that you and I really had no participation in except to receive them. But now we're going to walk. And you and I are going to participate in that. And this is this mystery where God does. And yet God binds himself up in us. And brings a realm of what we do becomes significant. Now I want you to consider, this is, the, this is the last thing God is saying. Remember when we started off, God says, I'm going to vindicate my name. I've had a people who have not walked in righteousness. They don't demonstrate my life into the world. When they scatter and they go amongst the nations, they bring low my name. They don't obey. They don't observe what I've told them to do. They're idolatrous. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to vindicate my name. I'm going to do this, 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 right. I'm going to do five things here to vindicate my name. And you will walk in my statutes. You are going to do something then. There is going to be fruit. I'm going to do five things, but it's going to produce something in you that you are going to do. And you're going to want to do it. But you are going to do it. So there's a fruitfulness in God. These are not just five seeds that sit in a sack. They're five seeds that are going to actually germinate and become something in the lives of believers. Now, everybody write this verse down with me. We finished 
prayed last week out of this verse. John chapter 13, verse 17. It's a very short verse. It says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Everybody write that down. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Right? Knowing is for living. If you know these things, from Ezekiel 36, blessed are you if you do something with them. You are not blessed by just knowing them. You are blessed by what you do with what you know. Now, I want to posture you to receive something from a famous pastor named Charles Spurgeon. If you're not familiar with Charles Spurgeon, he would be a wonderful person to read. Almost anything you can get your hands on from Mr. Spurgeon. He was a pastor in uh, mid to late 1800s in London. He was uh, a proponent of the grace of God like few others have been in church history. Um, he was a bit challenged by some for his positions and how big he saw the grace of God, how important he saw it as the centerpiece of what we understand in theology. But if you sat under Charles Spurgeon every week, you, you would have to curl your toes up from time to time because he could step all over your feet very big. And so this morning I've invited him as a guest to step all over your feet. <laughs> so I'm going to read a couple of thoughts from a message that he preached from John 13, verse 17. It says, the sentence before us, this sentence says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. The sentence before us is equally applicable to every other gospel precept. If we understand anything which the Holy Spirit has revealed to us, happy shall we be if we follow its practical intention. Right? We're, we're supposed to do something with what we've heard. It's, it's revelation that should influence us. God is vindicating his name for the purpose of bringing forth something in our lives. Look at this thought. He says, our first observation is that this is an if, even in this country. If ye know these things, alas, even in such a city as this, where the gospel is to be heard in all our streets and Bibles are to be found in all our homes, it is so sad that tens of thousands do not know these things. Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if, if you could see the world we live in. And how sad it is that Christians... We're trying to live this life, but Ezekiel 36 and its concepts and the richness of all that God has done for us in Christ and in giving us the Spirit and making us new creation, this is so foreign and it's so unfamiliar and it doesn't own us in a way that compels our lives. If he were here, I think he'd be greatly, greatly concerned. He goes on and says, There are many who know not these things, though they hear about them, and the reason is because while they come to the place of worship and the sound of the preaching glides across their ears, they never give deep, earnest attention to it. They never, right, volunteer here if this is you. This is a good point to be writing in your outline. They never give deep, earnest attention to what they hear from the Word of God. Listen, 
if this was true back in this day, I don't, they didn't have a whole lot going on. Compared to us, they just wasn't a whole lot to do back in the 1800s. We have so much other things to do that entertain us and that capture us and that absorb us on a daily basis. So we read the Bible or we listen and sit through a message and we hear something and kind of get tweaked here or there. Matter of fact, one of the reasons why Bible preaching today is probably as important as it ever has been uh, is because we're not very good at wrestling with the scriptures anymore. You know, there's all kinds of devotional materials out there that'll kind of do that for you. Somebody else has already pre-chewed this and given it to us. And we just have this easy digestion thing going on. And we've sort of learned to be lazy in how we study. So we don't get into the word and wrestle with it. Wrestle with that passage. Wrestle with what these things mean in my life. We kind of take it easy. If I catch it, I catch it. But if I don't, I'll just let that go. And maybe next week I'll pick up on something else. Listen, remember... Remember that night where Jacob wrestles with the angel? So this is the attitude, I think, that we as Christians need to acquire. Jacob wrestled one night with an angel. And it began to be daybreak, and the angel was actually looking to go on now. I want to get out of here. And the angel begins to leave, and surprisingly, I mean, if you kind of got attacked by an angel, I think you'd be glad for him to go too, wouldn't you? Like, good, he's leaving. Not Jacob. Jacob knew this was an opportunity to be blessed. I can receive a blessing. So the angel gets up to go and gets tackled by Jacob. He won't let him go. He's wrestling him to the ground. I'm like, what are you doing? I will not let you go. What? You're not going to let me go. Not until you bless me. I will not let you go. And he wrestled with the angel and wouldn't let him go until he was blessed. See, you know, I think we need to wrestle with truth that way. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with Ezekiel 36 and don't let it go. Now, if we move on to another subject and you still need to live in Ezekiel 36, live in it. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with John Piper's book, Finally Alive, when you read through it and something leaps out at you, but don't quite get it and you want to temptingly just go on to the next chapter. Wrestle with it. I want to say wrestle with it until you get it, but why don't you wrestle with it until it gets you? You know, something gets you. It gets you. This reaches in you and gets you. And all of a sudden there's new motivation and there's relief and there's joy. There's impact from the word. That's what needs to be happening. That's the kind of students that we need to be as believers. Spurgeon goes on. He says, alas, too, there are there be some who attend at least with an outward attention, which we cannot blame. But they know not the things of God. Because they have not yet found out that the letter, that is the external word, is a killing thing. And that it is the inner and spiritual sense which is alone to be sought after. Now he's got some context here that I'm not going to take time to go into. But again, we said last week, even if you take the words of the Bible that reveal the grace of God and turn them into a code that is outside of you for you to try and do your best to achieve. If you do that, you have turned the Bible into a killing thing. It will kill you. It will do to you what the law did. See, this needs to be a, it is a living word. It needs to come to life in me. And it does so by the Holy Spirit who's been given to me. And now there's writing on my heart. And there's new desires and there's spiritual revelation to where, hey, you say something, it's what I want. Listen, you know, I'm not gonna, don't want to show their hands here, but 
How often do you hear something from this pulpit? I'm going to warn you about next week's message, but how often do you hear something from this pulpit that, that you get offended by? That sort of, you know, it has an edge on it that you didn't like the way that sounded. You know, it's, it feels like it's being imposed upon you. It feels like there's an expectation being made upon you. That see, You know the only reason why there's a disconnect there is because what is on the outside doesn't feel like it's matching what's on the inside. Because I know there's moments when we experience conviction and what's on the inside is convicting me and what's being spoken by the speaker convicts me. And I don't, I don't get irritated by that. I appreciate that. In that moment, what's on the inside of me that's alive by the Spirit and what's being said to me on the outside marries itself. And man, I'm writing that down. I'm thankful for it. It's painful perhaps, but I needed to hear that. I'm glad I'm hearing it. Listen, when you get at odds with some things, it's because what's on the inside of you is not matching what's on the outside. And you feel like you're about to be asked to do something that's not in you. I don't want to do that. I, you know, care team. I don't want to do care team. And you, you, know, you made me feel guilty by saying that a few minutes ago, that this is what the Bible says, blah, 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 blah. But there's some people in here who that resonated with them. says, yeah. And there was immediate agreement. See, when, the, when you get this disconnect between what's in the heart and what's being said on the outside, it, there, there's a problem. It's going to irritate you. It's going to get under your skin in a certain way. So Spurgeon goes on and says, Remember that every doctrine of the gospel has a practice appended to it. And that to get the happiness, I like that, to get the happiness out of the doctrine, you must put its preceptory part or its practical inference into action. Right? You want to get the happiness out of the Bible? You want, you want to get it to be not just some cold list of rules? You want it to be an exciting thing, an adventure you're living? You've got to put it into practice. It's got to show up at the doorstep somewhere. Question. Is Ezekiel 36 a word to be stored or a seed to be sown? And if it's a seed to be sown, how do we go about sowing that? One more thought from Mr. Spurgeon here. Dear hearer, hast thou been a hearer of the good message, but hast been a hearer only? If so, thou hast missed the joy of the whole business. I pray thee, go a step farther and believe and live. Now, listen, this is going to be the sad, this is going to be the worst. I could have had a V8 moment. For Christians, when they get to heaven, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the woman who tried to swim the English Channel, you know, and the fog set in and she swam and she swam and she swam and she was, I mean, she was just right there when she quit because she couldn't see how close she was. And for many people, doctrinally, it's like they get so close to the joy of what they've learned and the fog sets in and they live right here. And it's like, go one step further. Just take one more step and enter into the joy of what you've learned. Now, it's, I will say this. The reason why you don't take that step is because it's typically a very risky step. It violates something about my comforts and current beliefs to go that one step further. But it is the necessary step for us. Now, that one step he highlights, it's into the realm of, of belief and living. Belief in that's what it is. It's a step into belief, right? If I were to, we talk this series as a title of, of it being walking in newness of life. Well, well, what is 
What is somebody's walk? It's a big encompassing word. What, what is your walk? Well, I, I would describe our walk as the attitudes and actions of our lives. That would be the walk. And I would have to include both, because to simply go through actions with a, an attitude that doesn't match the biblical pattern, you know, many of us can show up here disgruntled, but not having joy, and we're going through the motions of doing the right thing, so our actions look right, but our heart looks wrong. That's not right. Our walk is both attitude and action. So when we go to take the seed of the Word of God and do something with it, and we, we're going we're gonna to walk this stuff out now, we're going to bear fruit, we're going to... See the vindication of God come into reality here. Well, it's going to touch our attitudes and our actions. It's going to take one more step from hearing into believing and living. And quite honestly, I mean, guys, let's be honest here. This would probably be the functional disconnect in the Christian life. Right? Believing things that we hear. Versus, how many of us just tolerate unbelief in our lives? You know, we're really just okay with the fact that we've got something going on in our life we don't think we can fix it. We can't change, we can't overcome that. And, and you know what? We're okay with saying that. We're all right with that. There's some pattern in our life, you know, on the books, technically, officially, I'm a believer. That's what I'm called. I'm a believer. On the books, officially, I'm a follower of Christ. But in reality... In day-to-day moments, when it's time for me to make the hard decision, I can become a functional unbeliever. I will not do that because I don't have the faith to proceed down that path. And functionally, then, I am not obeying and following Christ either. But on, on the books, though, I am a believer who's following Christ. I mean, on the books, right? And so there's this great dysfunction, this great disconnect between what I really experience in my life. See, you know, you can only store up so much information in your life and get some joy out of that. At some point, you want joy and peace, you've got to take the step. You've got to take the seed of the Word and sow it in faith. You've got to move on it. You've got to take a risk. You've got to believe it so much that you actually take some actions on it. Now, let me, let me walk us down a, an example here of planting the seed in our life. And this would be... The role of faith and obedience in our walk. Remember, we've started, I think last week, we talked about the Roman road. You know, this, this paved Roman road that was preceded by the Ezekiel Trail. Romans isn't covering any new ground that God didn't clearly explain to Ezekiel that was coming this day. Romans just explains it. A little bit more detail, a little bit more up-to-date status, where we're on the other side of the cross and the Holy Spirit's been given. So before that, though, you had the Ezekiel Trail. But before the Ezekiel Trail, and God has really not been up to anything that he has not fully informed us about wonderfully, there was this guy that was forging a tail, brush-cutting, named Abraham. So we got Abraham cut through the brush, Ezekiel wearing a trail, and then the pavement comes in Romans. But let's back up to Abraham, because we can learn something from him and from his life about how to respond to this seed. Now, remember, Abraham... I'm not going to go back through the five points that we made. But remember, Abraham begins to experience these five points of Ezekiel before Ezekiel ever is alive. Remember, if you know who Abraham is before he's in the Bible, Abraham and his family are idol worshipers. If you want to read a little bit about his history, you can read Joshua chapter 24, which is an interesting passage because Joshua 24 shows that God, who shows up on Abraham's doorstep, 
And he does what he says in Ezekiel. I will gather people to myself. And he gathers Abraham. And he brings him. He says, I took you, Abraham. I took you out of Ur of the Chaldees. And I brought you to myself. And so God has gathered people. If you read Joshua 24, you hear God doing this, I will, and I did, and I did. And it's a whole chapter full of what God did. So he gathers Abraham to himself, God's sovereign grace, to take an individual who was an idol worshiper and cause him to belong to God. Abraham didn't make himself belong to God. God was doing this to bring Abraham to himself. And then not to just say, hey, Abraham... I just want to let you know in advance, you and all your little sinner friends, I'm going to be wiping all of them out. I'm going to let you watch, but I'm going to tolerate you, dude. But everybody else is gone. No, what does he do with Abraham? He says, Abraham, I've chosen you and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to lavish blessing upon you. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars or the sands on the seashores. I'm I'm going to be for you. When others are against you, I will oppose them. Your enemies will be my enemies. And those who bless you, I will bless as well. Where does this come from? Such incredible grace given to this man named Abraham. So he receives this promise in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. God actually makes a covenant with Abraham for this promise to become true. And this covenant is an interesting covenant. If you've ever read the story, it depicts these animal sacrifices that that Abraham has cut in half as a form of a covenant being made with God. And then Abraham and God are are in this exchange. And there's a covenant made. And if you've ever read the details of this, it's very important that you notice something and caught this in the fine print. The day that people made covenant, they would spell out the terms They would agree to them, and then the two of them would pass between the pieces, pledging themselves, till death do us part. Well, interesting, when God explains the covenant and has Abraham cut all the animals, he lets a deep sleep fall over Abraham. This is is Abraham's participation. (laughs) Abraham's going to sleep. (laughs) It's a great picture of us, isn't it? (laughs) And then God is going to walk through the pieces, in his sleep, he saw this image like a, a smoking fire pot that floated between the pieces. And it says, on that day, God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, it's interesting. Abraham didn't do anything. He simply became the recipient of all that God did. Now, when you see this, this is, this is the precursor to the new covenant. Because in a similar way, when God makes the new covenant, you and I don't do anything either, do we? Right? There's there's not a line at the cross where all of us go up and volunteer to die and we die and we enter in the covenant with God because we've died on the cross. No, there's one man who gets on the cross. And it's none of us. And that one man is God himself getting on the cross. And if you will, the fire pot that passes between the pieces is God himself. It is God making a covenant With God. Now, can that covenant ever fail? No. It can never fail. The covenant with Abraham could never fail. It was a foolproof covenant. Because no matter what Abraham did, God would be faithful to himself. And that covenant would absolutely come to pass. Well, welcome to the new covenant. This great freedom for you and for me that 
You and I never did create the new covenant. We don't maintain it either. It is maintained by the one right now who is before God interceding on our behalf. The one who lived the perfect life, who entered into covenant in our place. So this is an incredible thing that God has done that didn't involve what we would do. Kind of like the five indicatives of God, right? But how does Abraham respond to the indicatives of God? By doing nothing? No, he does something. He responds to this. He responds through faith and obedience. That's the response of Abraham to the covenant where God does everything. Now turn with me to a few passages here. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to look at three quick passages here relating to Abraham. Verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. Now here's the question being asked. Did, how did you receive? How did you receive the word? You received it hearing by faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now listen, just in the same way that Abraham didn't work his way into a covenant with God, Abraham didn't do his part so that the indicatives of God could become real. Abraham didn't do any of that. But Abraham did something. He just received. He received it in his life. And then there's going to be evidence in a moment that he actually did receive it in his life. And that's a good thing for us to see. Because most of us could say, okay, well, I'm cool on that. I receive it. Well, there's a way to tell whether you really received it or whether you just listened to it and then said you received it. But didn't really receive it. Right? When you look in this passage, faith... Faith is a posture of receiving. It's not a posture of achieving. Right? Abraham doesn't create the covenant. The New Testament receivers of the, uh, the New Covenant believers don't create the covenant with God. The covenant with God is already done. God's done it. But by faith, they're going to receive it. So faith is a receiver of what God has already done. It's not an achiever before God. Second, faith is distinguished from hearing in this passage. Right? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do you, does he do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Not just hearing, but hearing with faith. Without question, we've all heard a lot of things. But if we don't marry that with belief, if we don't, right? That's Charles Spurgeon's one more step. Go one more step. I've been, I've, I've been raised on the Bible, man. My mama taught me from the Bible. I know the Bible. Great, you could be standing one step away from something incredible. 
But one step, if you don't take it, might as well be the other side of the universe. Because it ain't yours. Until you take a step of faith and receive it in your life. Last thing is believing. Believing involves action. Action. There's action to belief, right? Which leads us to our next passage, James chapter 2. Turn over to James chapter 2. Take another glimpse at Abraham. James chapter 2, verse 17. It says, So also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Now, what's interesting here, the person that just say, I'll just show you my works. I don't have any faith, but I got works. No, they're, they're linking the fact that they have works as a result of having faith. So the person lives a life because of something that they believe. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Well, here's the example. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Work. See, Abraham took one more step. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Right? It wasn't enough for Abraham just to hear about this great covenant. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all these things. I've gathered you here. I'm a great God. I'm going to fulfill all these purposes in your life. Sit down. Go to sleep. Watch what I do. I'm going to be faithful to all this. That was not enough. Right now, he's on the verge. Abraham, do you receive it? Are you going to take a step of faith and receive it? He just received. He didn't get God to do anything on his behalf by anything that he did. God had done, and Abraham was to now receive it. Hebrews 11. Turn over one book to Hebrews 11. Verse 8. By faith, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Now, here's the risky part of obeying and stepping out of faith. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. <laughs> Everybody want to sign on for that deal? <laughs> right, that, I mean, here's the breakdown, right? You've got all these rich promises of God. If you live your life this way, if you'll do this, if you'll hang in there, if you'll forgive, if you'll spend your money this way, it's kind of like, okay, well, can I like, can I have a glimpse of like one year from now? You know, am I taller? Am, you know, am I, what's happening to me a year from now? He doesn't get to see that and neither do we. He went out though. He did go out. He obeyed and went out not knowing where he was going. And this is the big disconnect. God, I'm right here. 
I've listened to all these great promises. There's all this truth waiting for me in my life. But God, what's going to happen to me if I take this step? It's going to be good, Keith. Well, I was looking for a little more detail than that. <laughs> you know, do you have time schedules here? People involved? What exactly does good look like, God? Because, uh, you know, I've learned enough in the Bible to know, God, sometimes what you call good is not what I call good. So I'm kind of wanting to filter this good idea before I take this step. All right, well, then just stay where you are. You know, God didn't tell you anymore. And a lot of us are living right here. All these great truths. But I don't want to step in that. Because I don't know where it's going to go. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him the same promise. And here was what Abraham did. He heard the word. He believed the word. And genuine belief always results in genuine actions. Works took place. In his life. Now listen very carefully because if you live in New Orleans and you've been informed poorly theologically as most of us have, he did not work in order to get something from God. Right? God had already done. God didn't show up with a fire pot and said, boy, I'd love to strike that baby up and walk through those pieces, Abraham. How about you jump through some hoops and prove to me how faithful you'll be and then I'll, I'll do my part. You do your work and then I'll do my part. Is that the way the Bible reads anywhere? No. God, had, God shows up, prepackaged plan. That's why I keep making this goofy little illustration. Romans isn't new. Ezekiel's not new. Abraham, this has always been God's intention. I'm going to do, and you just receive it by faith. But you do need to receive it. And if you do receive it by faith, you actually will walk in it. And so therefore, there will be fruits. And I will have vindicated my name. And into your life will come the reality of what it is to be in relationship with the God of the universe. See, there's something in this for us. There are, there are steps here. I have one more thought from Mr. Spurgeon before I get to a closing element. This is worth coming today. Briefly, it is always a blessed thing to be obedient to God. The very soul of joy to the creature who wants to be truly happy is conformity to the will of the Creator. When God's will and ours keep pace together, it will be heaven on earth to us. It is only when our will jars with the divine mind that our soul's happiness departs. Says so I could ask you a question today, the most valuable thing for you to hear. Are you happy? See, the great thing is, the truth is, every one of us wants to be happy right now. Happiness gets discovered when the creature gets in step with the Creator. And if you and I contend with God to not take that step of faith into all that God has said, God has said, handle that situation that way. I don't want, God, I don't want to forgive. If I forgive, I'm just going to be taken advantage of all over again. And we argue with God. And we're not happy. A bunch of unhappy people argue with God. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, I... I imagine God, if he were like me, instead of being like he is, he would just sarcastically want to say something like, well, you look like you're happy. Go keep, keep doing what you got. <laughs> you know, you're the one who came in here needing something, right? And you're going to argue with the master counselor. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm not, I can't do that. All right. Well, then stay unhappy. What you want me to tell you? 
But we sit there thinking, well, no, no, no. You see, I got this victim mentality going on. I'm unhappy because everybody else is doing the wrong thing. That's why I'm unhappy. Too much garbage psychology going on around here. I'm unhappy because I won't get in step with God. Right? This is the God of the resurrection. Stuff goes wrong in the universe. God doesn't go in the back and cry, tie his hands. I can't fix this. God steps in gloriously and says, you know what? I can meet you right where you are. Right here, right now. I can get into your world and turn you into a different person. Right now, God can do that. And we sit there thinking, oh, no, no. It's because we're standing with all kinds of knowledge and won't take a step of faith. Won't step into not knowing where we're going. Here's my great question. This question has haunted me. I probably can't do justice to answering it, even with all we've said today. But this, this question should have been in your mind the whole time you're reading through Ezekiel 36. How can Ezekiel 36 be in the Bible and a Christian not experience it? How can the God of the universe say he's going to vindicate his name by bringing his life through us and us not be experiencing? How is that possible? I would say from what we've seen from Abraham here, because it's a seed that must be planted in the soil of faith and obedience. It's that last thing God said in the end there. He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to obey my commands. You're going to do that. All the indicatives of God and in the mystery of God, God who doesn't put himself in a place to be dependent upon man, puts man on the stage and says, now you are going to do this. And guess what? It seems like and feels like in my life, at least, there's a bunch of times when I'm not. And so therefore, I have to conclude, Ezekiel 36 seems like a stranger experience. It's not mine, it's somebody else's experience than mine. Because, not because the five indicatives of God aren't true, but because sowing the seed by faith and obedience isn't happening. Right? One last thought we'll look at together. Hebrews chapter 3. How does this happen? How can we have such an incredible passage and yet not be experiencing it? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. It's not enough to hear because you can respond to hearing in a variety of ways. You can respond in faith or you can respond in hardening. Now, I don't know if there's a third choice because every response, the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. So if God says something 
and I don't believe it and then base my life on it, take actions, then I'm, I'm doing what? I'm hardening myself to it. If I do this on a daily basis, is it any wonder why our lives may be lacking something? For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now here's the Bible clearly explaining, how can these rich passages and promises of God exist on paper, and not in reality. Well, that's why. And this is, this is, a, this is a, a Bible passage that has urgency. It's got language in it that's urgent. Take care, brothers. Let us fear. This should be a church where we are afraid of unbelief. Now, can I tell you? We are not afraid of unbelief. As a matter of fact, we converse about it like it's not poisonous to us. We accommodate it. We say something that we're not doing out of unbelief, and then the rest of us join in like a chorus. Me neither. Me neither. Me neither. Me neither. You can't. I can't. No, 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 no. It's almost as though unbelief is something that's so common. It's such a reality point. Can't we just get together and connect? I don't even know you, but if I can bring up unbelief, automatically we've got something in common. We're not afraid of unbelief. But yet the Bible says, be afraid. Be very afraid in the moment in which you have heard promises of God and you won't take that step. Be very afraid. John Piper says the Christian life is a life of day-by-day, hour-by-hour trust in the promises of God to help us and guide us and take care of us and forgive us and bring us into a future of holiness and joy that will satisfy our hearts infinitely more than if we forsake Him and put our trust in ourselves or in the promises of this world. And... That day-by-day, hour-by-hour trust in God's promises is not automatic. It is the result of daily diligence, and it's the result of proper fear. Daily diligence. See, now, now, hopefully you've loved the fact that we've spent eight weeks in the indicatives of God. Now, that just felt like a big old imperative, right? Just stunk the whole room up. Big imperative just said, daily be diligent to believe God 
If you want to fight the fight, I know sometimes we get into the trenches and we're fighting the little artillery men, the little infantry dudes that show up at our doorstep on our daily living. Listen, the giant monster to be fought in the life of a Christian is unbelief. It is when we don't believe God. It puts us in the crosshairs of everything bad you can think of that could ever go wrong in every category of your life. So when I read this verse and I read these rich passages from Ezekiel, there is that finishing element. You will be careful to obey my commands. You, you will be careful. That's the same language in Hebrews, isn't it? Brothers, take care. Be careful in this issue of belief and unbelief. Now listen, this, this is a battle. It is a battle you and I will fight until we're no longer in a fallen world, still walking around in fallen bodies. I started to go off into some detail on that. Maybe one other day we'll get to that. But that's why the promises of God aren't like ice skating. Right? They're more like swimming in jello pudding. Right? It's not like, ooh, the promise of God, I'm on ice skates. Just give me a little nudge. And we just kind of glide. It's great. There's no resistance. Nothing's going wrong. There's no unbelief here. That's heaven, right? Heaven is that way. It's a frictionless universe in heaven. But here, it's kind of like God says, you are now born again. And he drops you into this pudding. You want to move? And it's kind of like, I can't seem to do this. You know, there's resistance. You're in a fallen world. That means every day. And then fallenness is in here, too. It's with me. It's not like it's all you people are fallen and all that stuff out there. i got fallen stuff in here. And it doesn't want to believe God. And it doesn't want to take a step of faith. And it doesn't want to go down that path that I don't know where it's going. And it doesn't trust. It's fallen. But yet God says, I'm going to do all these things. You be careful to walk. Be careful to observe what I've commanded you. That's what I want you to do. So there is something for us to do here. And it is a daily battle. I've I've put, I don't know if Eric or Matt is coming. I've I've put a plaque. There is a framed scripture that sits at my bedroom door. So I walk past the bedroom door. It is framed just to the edge of of the door opening, right above the light switch. And it is this passage in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. That, that is, as I exit the bedroom into life on a daily basis, that plaque calls on me to examine, do I believe God? Do I believe the promises of God today? Right, I stole that idea from, I think it was the uh, Notre Dame, I think, when they run out onto the field, there's a plaque over the, uh, the locker room. I don't know what it says, and I'm not a Notre Dame fan even, but it was a good idea, and that's why I stole it. But it says something that just kind of inflames these guys. It has to do with the rich tradition in Notre Dame. And so on their way out onto the field, they all touch it on the way out to remind them on the, on the way out what they're going out to do. And I thought, I need that. 
I need, as I exit into life on a daily basis, I need to wrestle with my own heart before I proceed and to ask this question, God, do I believe you today? Do I believe your promises? Have I sufficiently meditated on Ezekiel 36 to where it is in me and I know God is for me and I know the Spirit of God has written on my heart and what God, what are the desires that you put within me to do today that though difficult, I do want to do them. God, what, what does it mean for your Spirit to be in me so that I am willing to do according to your good pleasure? God, what does that mean in me today? As I confront something that I'm thinking about, I've got an appointment, I've got a thing, I've got this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to deal with that. But God, I bring your promises with me. You've made me a different person. Holy Spirit, you are in me. I just accumulate and begin to bring to my remembrance the promises of God. And now the question is, Keith, now that you're hearing that, do you believe it? Do you want to take one more step, dude, and believe what you just told yourself? Because we know a lot of these things already. The question is, are we a people taking one more step into planting those seeds of truth into our lives and by faith believing them? They're true. Let's stand up together. Lord, without doubt, Abraham, because we know from his story, faced moments where he lost sight of your promises. And he took actions that jeopardized his family. That had great potential to bring destruction into his own life because there were moments where he was a man just like us who though he had rich promises from you he did not take the step oh he had heard he knew that there were promises and he knew something of your faithfulness but there were moments where he didn't take the step but God ultimately Ultimately, he did because of you. Lord, which gives us hope today. Lord, thank you that even in taking the step of faith, you are not in the bleachers watching us. You're not shouting encouragement from the sidelines. God, thank you that even right now, as you are bringing conviction into our hearts about what we have heard, but yet we have not believed, you are in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. God, thank you that there would be a day where we would be called on to be careful to do all that you have commanded us to do. But yet you would precede that statement by I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to take those actions. God, This morning, let this be an environment where your Holy Spirit is once again enabling us 
to receive your word by faith, to take steps of faith, to believe you so much that we plan on doing something different by faith, not knowing where this is going, but taking a step of faith to say, Lord, in my heart, it makes absolute sense only to trust you. Nothing else makes sense, God. So I do wrestle right now. Lord, would you give us grace all throughout this room for wrestling to be going on? God, may we be in a place right now where we have had categories of unbelief, experiences of fear. Right now, let the Holy Spirit show you where has there been a lack of joy? Where are you not happy? Where are you afraid in your life right now? Holy Spirit, identify where we're living. Identify the practical, functional disconnect between us saying that we believe you and yet we are not experiencing the happiness of these truths in our lives. Lord, this morning, right now, God, open hearts. Survey this gathering and know us well, Spirit of God. Prompt our hearts that all that we have believed and heard gives us cause to step in faith into that or to no longer cower to no longer accept the idea that I will cater to unbelief I will allow it to be a guest in my heart for yet another day God may it be that we are willing to part with the predictability that unbelief affords us and step into the realm of the unknown that faith puts us in let Matt lead us in a moment in some worship time to close out the service but I, I want to appeal to some folks here this morning I, I, want you to, I want you to get yourself an altar with God I want you to, to get with God I don't think we need folks praying with you this morning but I want you to wrestle with unbelief I want you to get with God I don't care where you go do that get here you can turn around in your seat and kneel down but I want you to get with God I want you to do something that God has given you the ability to do. He's given you His Spirit. There is power in you to believe God. Now, believing is going to mean step. Take a step. But I don't have enough details. Take a step. I don't know what will happen. I don't even think I'm going to like what's going to happen. Take a step. Because your choices are take a step or harden your heart. That's your choices. Oh, please. Don't harden your heart. Don't run the risk that the warnings of the Bible that were so serious that God said be careful to do. Hebrews says again, be careful. If you have unbelief in an area of your life this morning, take that unbelief to task. Take a step. Say, God, I don't know where this takes me, but I trust you. And I believe in you. I want you to do that. Maybe you need to come out and just come find a place to pray. Come get with God. Make this a, a moment where you're just letting the Holy Spirit ruminate in your heart and prompt and provoke. Lord, right now, make this time, God, a meeting between heaven and earth. God, make this time a place where your Spirit, alive, powerful, effective, communicating to us, wooing and winning our hearts, communicates at levels where we need to hear you, Lord. God, displace our tendency to not believe you. Displace it, Lord. God, draw us to the place where all that you've done needs to be considered. Lord, all that you are to us, all this work 
of bringing us to yourself, of having a plan, fulfilling the plan, cleansing us and setting us free from sin in our past, giving us a new heart with new desires for a new day that you are revealing, giving us the Holy Spirit as the power to walk in a new day. Lord, all these things are true. God, this morning, may we plant the seed. God, we don't want big sacks walking out of here. God, may we plant the seed of your word in the fertile soil of faith and obedience that it may come to pass in our lives. Holy Spirit, meet us as we honor you and sing.